Come out and take it, you dirty yellow-bellied rat, or I'll give it to you through the door. That's James Cagney, one of Hollywood's famous tough guy actors. He's seeking revenge, aiming a gun at his brother's murderer, hiding behind a door in the 1932 movie Taxi. The line, which is often misquoted, inspired many mob movies. Is everything okay over there, Luke? Are you on some old gangster movie kick? <laughs> I'm fine, but I've been thinking about the low-down dirty rat of medicine. It's cancer. And the more you know about cancer biology, the more you realize what a sneaky, wily, low-down dirty rat it is for modern medicine. I'm Luke Timmerman. And I'm Meg Terrell, and you're listening to Signal. This week, we're talking about some of the amazing things scientists have learned about an all-too-familiar disease, cancer, and what makes it such a wily adversary. We tend to think we know cancer better than many other deadly diseases because it touches so many lives. But it's been hiding some nasty tricks that we've only uncovered in the last few years. First, a look at where we stand. About one-third of people in the U.S. will be diagnosed with some form of cancer during their lives. Some forms of cancer have seen major progress, but others, not so much. Death rates remain stubbornly high, despite the fact that we in the U.S. have poured major money and resources into the fight, as far back as the early 1970s war on cancer. Now, Vice President Biden is talking about a new cancer moonshot. This has been a long and very public fight. But for all the exposure and effort, we still haven't won the war, so to speak. Still, the four-decade fight has been worth it. It's greatly illuminated our scientific understanding of cancer, down to the level of genes, proteins, and cells. And that has taught us something tactically important. Respect for the enemy. Because cancer, well, it's like a ninja master. It's a master of adaptation, of escape, of armor, of stealth. Take the first. In the world of oncology, adaptation is called tumor heterogeneity. Tumors escape largely through mutations that let them develop resistance. Stealth is the preferred tactic tumors use when hiding from the immune system. Tumors release small molecules and proteins that essentially put immune system opponents to sleep. It's like cancer took its lessons from Sun Tzu's The Art of War. If he had known what we know about cancer now, maybe Sun Tzu would have taken some lessons from cancer. <laughs> so let's dive into these. Take adaptation, heterogeneity. It's basically a fancy way of saying tumors have lots and lots of genetic mutations, and they show up in different parts of the tumor and at different times in its evolution. Imagine for a second you're a surgeon. You take out a tumor biopsy cut from the left side of the tumor. On the right side, you could get a completely different idea of the genetic makeup in that tumor. If you take the biopsy a few weeks later, you might get different information. The genetics of cancer are really a moving target. Here's what Harold Varmus had to say about it. He won the Nobel Prize for research into oncogenes, normal growth genes that can get disturbed, leading to the uncontrolled growth of cancer. And he went on to become director of the National Cancer Institute and is now a professor at Weill Cornell Medical College in New York. Well, we learned a long time ago that uh, there are a lot of causative factors for cancer. That's been known for decades that... Uh, the things that cause mutations cause cancer, but it wasn't until about uh, uh, 30 to 40 years ago that we began to get our hands on the specific genes that uh, play a role in cancer when they undergo mutational change. Cancers are not driven by single mutations in general. 
Uh, most cancers have multiple changes, sometimes thousands or even tens or rarely hundreds of thousands of changes, and it's hard to sort out which one or which ones are most responsible. That's amazing. Tumors undergo tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of genetic changes. This is all happening while we're throwing the usual chemotherapies at them. It all happens fast, in real time, as the tumor cells are constantly growing and dividing. And this can be discouraging for those who've heard about targeted therapies. Usually, these drugs are made to zero in specifically on a single genetic abnormality we think is driving the tumor. The idea that there must be a single magic bullet for cancer is a powerful one in the popular imagination. But that's rarely enough to do the job when we see just how genetically complex cancer is. Scientists have been humbled by the complexity they now see. Here's Tyler Jacks, the director of the Koch Institute for Integrative Cancer Research at MIT. We certainly have learned from a lot of detailed analysis of cancer genomes that the picture is complex and uh, much more complex than we would have thought previously. Uh, we've looked through sort of surgical dissection of one region of a tumor versus a different region of a tumor. And indeed, the genotype, the collection of mutations present regionally is quite different. So that's fascinating and, and frankly daunting. And I say that because if one part of the tumor has one set of alterations and a different part has a different set, uh, it just amplifies the challenge. Okay, cancer is great at adaptation. What about escape? Well, for more than 20 years, scientists and drug makers have been working hard on targeted therapies. Chemotherapy, the old mainstay, is a blunt instrument. It kills all kinds of fast-dividing cells, in tumors and healthy cells alike. Wouldn't it be better to specifically attack a special molecular target on the tumor, spare the healthy cells, and avoid some of the chemotherapy side effects? A precision-guided attack on tumors turned out to be successful, but only sometimes. Tumors have a knack for developing resistance from even very sophisticated targeted drugs. It's like Darwinian survival of the fittest at warp speed. The tumor faces pressure from a drug and develops a genetic mutation that allows it to keep growing some other way. That's resistance. Resistance is a pretty depressing word. Traditionally, when a patient developed resistance to a treatment, that meant the old drug wouldn't work anymore. Doctors had to try something else. And eventually, they'd run out of options. Yet we're learning more every day about resistance and how it's a dynamic phenomenon. It's not necessarily permanent. By shutting off enough of cancer's escape routes, sometimes we can trap it back into an original path. One paper about this phenomenon that I read recently in the New England Journal of Medicine really blew my mind. It was about a patient with a type of lung cancer that came with a mutation to a gene called ALK. And this patient was put on a targeted drug from Pfizer called Crizotinib, which is marketed as Zalcori. And it's specifically designed for ALK-mutated patients. Yet that patient, like many others, eventually developed resistance, right? Yes, but that's when things got interesting. Her doctor prescribed a second-generation ALK inhibitor. That didn't work. But another experimental third-generation drug did, although the patient eventually resisted that one too. That does not sound good. Normally, it's a death sentence. But in this case, the doctors resequenced one of her tumor samples after she got the third-generation ALK inhibitor. And the new drug, it turned out, had put pressure on the tumor. Researchers saw a genetic reshuffling that seemed to suggest her tumor had adapted in a way 
that made itself vulnerable once again to the original drug. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, and then the doctors put the patient back on the original drug, and it worked. Suddenly, the patient's resistant tumor was no longer resistant. It had been resensitized. This idea that resistance isn't necessarily a one-way downhill slide is completely fascinating. People didn't think in those terms just a few years ago. Here's Tyler Jacks again. He said scientists are thinking deliberately now about how to coax tumors to be resensitized to targeted therapy. There are thoughts nowadays of cycling patients on and off particular therapies to allow them to become resistant in the first instance and then gain sensitivity in the second instance. Cool. So let's move on to stealth. Yeah, tumors are sneaky. Our immune system has evolved to attack foreign invaders like viruses and bacteria. Tumors look, in many ways, a lot like ordinary healthy cells. Our immune system is programmed to leave the healthy tissues alone. The exception is when it goes haywire, giving us autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis and psoriasis. Cancer drug developers have to find some way to coax the immune system to see the tumor, even though it looks a lot like healthy cells as if it's a foreign invader. The notion that you could harness the immune system against cancer is an old one, more than 100 years old. And it's a tantalizing idea that you can turn the powerful T cells and antibodies we all make against viruses and bacteria and redirect them to kill cancer cells. But many companies tried this and failed. Until five years ago, most cancer biologists were deeply skeptical of immunotherapy. They saw it as a dead end. One big reason? Those tumors, those dirty rats. Ninja rats. <laughs> yeah, ninja rats have very sophisticated ways of hiding out. Here's Tyler Jacks. Tumors and, and really tissues in general uh, have many mechanisms at their disposal to dampen down an ongoing immune response. You can understand that the immune system needs to have switches that activate it on the one hand and turn it back off again so as to avoid, for example, autoimmune disease. I think what happens in the context of a tumor is those protective mechanisms get co-opted by the tumor and are brought into place. And frankly, there are many of them. There are, there are small molecule inhibitors of immune cells. There are proteins on the cancer cells that inhibit the immune cells. There are cells that migrate into the tumor that inhibit the immune, the immune cells. Think about that for a second. Tumors secrete molecular breaks, or what some people call cloaking mechanisms, to evade the immune system. Tumors can also secrete chemicals that essentially turn off the killing capability of immune cells. They essentially say to the immune system, move along, nothing to see here. Not only that, we now know that tumors create an especially hostile microenvironment around themselves. It's like armor that can keep immune cells away. Right. There's tough, dense connective tissue, which scientists call stromal tissue. It's also a high-pressure environment and contains little oxygen. That makes it tough for immune system T-cells to fully infiltrate, even if it recognizes something to attack in the tumor. So many things about the relationship between tumors and the immune system boggle the mind. Some scientists believe now that almost everybody, even seemingly healthy people, have a little bit of cancer brewing inside of us at all times. 
The reason most of us aren't sick is that our immune system is effectively always on patrol, mopping up and killing cancer cells before they start growing out of control. But scientists have learned some amazing things about that delicate dance between the tumors and the immune system. There are a few drugs that have been approved by the FDA in the past few years that are designed to work by releasing the brakes, so to speak, on the immune system. And these drugs didn't appear to work at first because they weren't good at a classic definition of success. They didn't appear to shrink tumors. What they did do, however, was to reactivate and awaken the immune system. They removed cancer's cloaking device. Sometimes it took a while for the full effect to kick in, but now we know that when killer T cells are able to infiltrate into the tumor, those patients often see profound, long-lasting remissions. These drugs aim for particular molecular targets, known as CTLA-4 and PD-1. If you really want to know what that stands for, here goes. CTLA-4 is cytotoxic T-lymphocyte-associated protein 4. It's an immune-dampening protein. Programmed cell death protein 1, or PD-1 for short, is another immune-dampening protein that they learn they can target. Essentially, by hitting those targets, you release the dampening mechanism, or like Luke said, releasing the brakes. Bristol-Myers Squibb and Merck have begun selling those drugs, known as checkpoint inhibitors. And quite a few other companies are racing ahead to develop their own versions. Now, these drugs don't work for everybody. But when they do work for patients, they sometimes work for many, many years. There are patients with melanoma, for instance, who were given death sentences, but who are still alive 10 years later and going strong after they got the first generation anti-CTLA-4 drug. Even more exciting, these drugs appear to be helping patients with more than just one tumor type. Lung cancer is another malignancy that appears vulnerable to checkpoint inhibitors. Now you can start adding up different tumor types with different cloaking mechanisms. This has gotten lots of scientific imaginations going and attracted investment. One of the knocks on cancer treatments of years past has been that they typically only prolong life by a few months. The long-lasting nature of immunotherapy is part of what makes it so attractive, both scientifically and to patients. A couple of important scientific concepts could be at work. Essentially, tumors are highly adaptable in a Darwinian sense, but so is the immune system. Not only that, but the immune system also has memory for the bad guys it encounters. It's why we get chicken pox as children, but don't usually get it again as adults. So if you have a crafty, wily tumor going up against a crafty, wily immune system? Yes, you can have the makings of a bit of a ninja versus samurai game. And let's also remember, immune cells can migrate anywhere in the body. The thing, though, about the immune system when you think about activating it, is that it, it makes it a fair fight. That's Gary Gilliland. He's the president and director of the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center in Seattle. He's also a former researcher at Harvard Medical School and was an executive at Merck when that company won FDA approval of its cancer immunotherapy, Pembrolizumab, marketed as Keytruda. You might recognize that name. It's the medicine that doctors gave former President Jimmy Carter when he was diagnosed with late-stage melanoma at age 91. President Carter is now said to be in complete remission with a new lease on life. It's a success story. And of course, one fascinating footnote is why? Why exactly would a 91-year-old man with a grim prognosis respond so well? Knowing a little basic biology offers some clues. When you're 91, by definition, you've been on Earth long enough to have a whole lot of cell divisions occur. 
as genetic information is transcribed over and over to produce all the cells we need to stay alive, transcription errors can accumulate over time. And sometimes those transcription errors lead to cancerous mutations. And we know that tumors with lots and lots of mutations tend to be more susceptible to immunotherapies like Keytruda. It's almost as if the tumor has a whole lot of red flags on the surface by that point in time that essentially tell the immune system to come kill it. Makes sense, though it doesn't sound very ninja-like. <laughs> it, it almost makes you wonder if the tumors and the immune system have minds of their own. Here's what Gilliland, the cancer geneticist, said about how tumors respond to what we throw at them. They're not trying to do anything. They're, I mean, it's, it's convenient to think about them as sentient thinking <laughs> uh, cells, but they, they simply, they respond to their environment in a way that uh, an evolutionary perspective enhances or enables their survival. They will adapt, and it does look like they're thinking about it, and it seems like what they do is so clever that they must be thinking about it. But in fact, we're, we're modulating that with our, our treatments, and we're, we're enhancing evolutionary biology with cancer cells in the same way that we have done in the past with bacteria, where we generate super-resistant organisms by treating with antibiotics, and they just figure out a way to get past it. Given the tumor's ability to evade the immune system, Sometimes the immune system needs a little help. While simply removing the cloaking device has been useful in multiple tumor types, there are other technologies at work. One is known as chimeric antigen receptor modified T-cell therapy, known as CAR-T for short. Why do you need to shorten it? That's easy to say. <laughs> <laughs> and unlike the standard checkpoint inhibitor drugs, these CAR-T treatments are personalized cell therapies. So a patient gets blood withdrawn, their T-cells get isolated in the lab, and they get reprogrammed to fight against a particular marker found on cancer cells. And then the cells get reinfused into the patient. That's the approach taken by Seattle-based Juno Therapeutics. This company has raised a lot of money and has reported on some impressive remission rates, around 90%, in very ill patients with acute lymphocytic leukemia. There are many other companies moving ahead with different approaches for modifying T-cells as well. As an aside, Juno started out with a funny name, FC Therapeutics. As CEO Hans Bishop explained, the FC originally stood for an Anglo-Saxon four-letter expletive, followed by cancer. Well, that name wasn't going to fly, but it reflects a certain attitude and sense of possibility at the company. Cancer is a tough bastard, but the immune system in many ways, which we still don't understand very well, seems almost uniquely equipped to take on this challenge. Here's what Bishop had to say about what cancer immunotherapy companies are up against. I think it starts with the fact that it is part of you. So trying to differentiate the effect of a drug on cancerous tissue, which is still your own tissue from your own tissue, is an intrinsically difficult thing to do. Uh, and the second thing is that um, cancer's continuously mutating. You know, it's easy to think of it as one problem, but actually if you look inside, particularly a solid organ tumor, particularly something like melanoma, where sunlight is the cancer-causing effect and because you're exposed to it all the time, there's, there's lots of mutations. Um, there are many, many different bad cells in that tumor. 
So, you know, you might be able to find a drug that works on some of them, but finding a drug that works on all of them is, is also difficult. You know the incredible thing? We've talked about adaptation, escape, armor, and stealth. And tumors have even more tricks. Oh yeah, we could go on all day. Tumors also have a high-octane form of metabolism that lets them vacuum up all the nutrients and sugars in the neighborhood needed to feed their endless appetite for growth. They also have a special talent for growing new blood vessels. It's like laying down highways for delivering all the nourishment they need to grow. So, Meg, cancer is a dirty rat, a dangerous and stealthy ninja, an adapter and a survivor. And it's taken us decades to figure out all the tactics it uses to continue to win the war we've waged against it. But where, where do you think cancer treatment is headed? How do you see this story playing out? Well, I think the pitch battle will continue. And I wouldn't actually say we've necessarily figured out all the tactics that cancer uses to win the war. We've made a lot of progress, but hopefully we'll discover new ways which will lead us to new potential treatments. But looking at where we've come, it's possible you know, the battlefield has started to level out in our favor. If we take combination therapies, a lot of people are really excited about them. Dr. Varmus said that cancer could end up being treated with cocktails of targeted drugs, much like how we treat HIV to keep it from developing resistance to any one drug. While a tumor can escape a single targeted drug, it may be a million times less likely for a tumor to escape from two well-placed targeted drugs with different ways of working. Yeah, that will take time and trial and error to figure out in clinical trials. But I agree, rational combinations of targeted therapies with different ways of working have a lot of promise, and so do combinations of immunotherapies. A lot of people are talking about combining one immunotherapy that, say, releases the brakes, along with another one that might press on the accelerator, so the immune system can clearly see exactly what it should be fighting on the tumor. But as we know, cancer isn't one disease, it's many. It's more than a hundred different diseases and many more subtypes. Progress, almost by definition, is likely to come in uneven bursts. We're not going to wake up one day having cured cancer across the board. It sure is a dirty, yellow-bellied ninja rat. But maybe it is getting close to a fair fight, as Gary Gilliland put it. But it just might take a few more ninja stars. Thanks for tuning into Signal. We are a production of STAT, a national news publication reporting from the frontiers of health and medicine. Our show is produced by Katie Heiler. Signal's senior editor is Jeff Delvisio. And we want to hear from you. Email us at statpodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at statnews hashtag signal. Next episode. Science and business have historically been male-dominated industries. So what happens when you put them together? Is the drug industry sexist? Many say the industry has a problem. We'll take a closer look next time on Signal.